If you uh, have brought your Bible with you, I invite you to open it up now, or if you have your electronic Bible on your phone or your tablet or something like that, feel free to get that out. We're going to Colossians uh, chapter 1. We're kind of continuing on in this. Um, my contributions to this series has been kind of a deep dive into um, the Colossian church and looking at what's going on in the, at least the first three chapters of Colossians. And so if you want to go back in the series, as this series is coming to an end, you can go back in the series and listen to some of these ancient words that we have been uncovering. Ancient uh, only because they seem to be old words, uh, words that have uh, their origin in, in old languages that we don't study very often in school very much, like Latin or Koine Greek and stuff like this. Words can be hard to remember. Words actually have a difficulty in sometimes becoming defined as well. Sometimes it's hard to explain what a word means. You ever had a kid come up to you and ask you, what does this word mean? And you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure. You know, pull out a, a Noah's Webster's, go from there. Today we seek to understand who God is. That's not easy. What God has said about himself. That's a little bit easier. But one thing that we will notice is that God has always been at work attempting to make known to us, to, to fallen humankind, different ways for us to know Him and know Him better. He appears in flesh, in spirit, in word and in truth to make Himself known. And I'll tell you, that's something we can sing about. I'm in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell within him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There seems to be in the church a starting to understand a little bit about who Jesus is and what it means. But yet to some people, especially those people to whom they never heard of things like the Messiah 
or prophecy, these sort of an idea, this, these things were foreign to them. So in Colossae, they needed some help. Paul is seeking to help them out, and what he's actually doing is he's teaching them a uh, little by little uh, some of the basics, the fundamentals of the church. I was playing um, this past week some, you know, throwing the frisbee around with my kids and as our kids, and as we were throwing the frisbee around, um, we we're saying, "Well, okay, well you got to keep it level, and you got to step into it, and you got to flick your wrist." These are the fundamental things. You know, if you can't get those right, then you know, don't try throwing it around your back or whatever. Like, get get the fundamentals right. That's what's ha- happening here in this church is that they're trying to get down to the fundamentals of things. And so Paul is trying to help them to understand that. One of the things that they're trying to understand is this person, Jesus. He has come, and he is man, that either some have seen or more likely have heard other people talk about seeing. They know witnesses to Jesus. So they know that he was a man, but yet... Paul is also explaining to them that Jesus is also God. And in order to help him do this, he's using a mnemonic device. You ever heard that uh, that term before? Mnemonic. Uh, A mnemonic is something that helps you remember something. It's kind of like a trick, like an acrostic is type sort of thing where you have different letters stand for something. Anyways. It's like, um, remember during the pandemic they were telling kids, if you want to wash your hands properly, like, wash your hands and sing, like, happy birthday, right? Sing happy birthday, and that's going to be, like, your 30 seconds or whatever, right? It's a mnemonic. It's an w- easy way to remember it. Paul is doing it almost uh, exactly that there. It's hard to see in English, actually, just because this is written in a different language than what we have. This is written in, in Koine, ancient Greek. And in the ancient Greek, it's a little bit easier to see what he's done. See, Paul has gifted the church one of its first hymns. It's true. This is seen by many as being the very first hymn of the church. And hymns are wonderful, aren't they? They help us to remember so many wonderful uh, truths about who God is, sometimes intricate and deep truths, sometimes difficult to understand truths. But he's walking them through this song It basically has kind of three movements, if you will. In verses 15 through 18, if you still have your Bible open, you'll be able to see. He's saying that Jesus is God. How do I know this? Well, he's created all things. And all things were created through him and for him. Who but God can create? Paul is saying Jesus is God. But in verse 19 as well, you'll see where he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The fullness of God dwelled and was made manifest. Paul is saying Jesus was man in verse 19. And then he does something that allows each of us to see where we fit in. There's a little turn in verse 20, but verses 21 through 25, it lets us know that because Jesus is fully God and fully man and through his sacrifice on the cross, that we, as humanity, 
have a different position before God. That's exactly what he's explaining in this very simple hymn. I think he does it as a hymn because what we sing, we remember. I can tell you the number of times I've been on a hospital visit with someone who perhaps has had um, an injury, an accident, or found themselves at later stages in life and just in need of more help. The brain is a very complex thing, but it's amazing what happens when you open a hymnal and you start singing some of those old songs. And someone who a moment before could not recognize you or tell you your name will tell you that you missed a word in verse 3. It's true. And it seems like at church, it seems like that what we sing should matter perhaps just a little bit more than when we sing happy birthday for a coworker. Now, I'm, I'm, not, of the, uh, I'm not alone in this uh, thinking. I believe it was the Gettys, uh, a Christian couple who write many songs for the church. Uh, some people call them a modern hymn writers. Uh, and so Keith and Kristen Getty, I think I'm getting their names right, um, wrote a song that we sang, uh, I think it was two weeks ago now, in Christ Alone. When that song came out, uh, there was uh, a number of people who said, wow, another beautiful song by the Gettys. We had loved to include that in our hymnal. And so um, many denominations of, of churches were saying, do you mind if we use this? And what's the licensing process and all of this? Because that's how this works. And uh, there was one church, and uh, I don't think it matters, but uh, one denomination of church said, there's just one thing that we'd like to change, if you don't mind. It says, you know, here where it says, and the wrath of God was satisfied. Can we change that? Can we change it to the love of God is magnified? I mean, that sounds good too. But the Gettys said no. To them it mattered what was going to be said. I suppose Paul probably agrees in verse 20 when he says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You need to have some war, some disunity, some disharmony. You may even need to have some wrath in order to find some peace. Paul wants to give them a song that will help them with their understanding God because it's so complex to try and understand it and get it. And trust me, I keep going back to school and I keep getting bigger and harder questions. And every single time I feel like there's an easy way to articulate it, it we fail. Every single time we try to come up with a metaphor, and I think particularly when we talk about our word of the day, which is Trinity, Anytime we talk about Trinity, we, we start coming up with examples. Well, the Trinity is like, it's like, uh, well, unfortunately, like I say, the Greek is much more clear than our English translation does. And our, our English does very little to help us navigate this Trinity. There's a few misconceptions that do abound. I want you to invite you into one of them, I suppose. When I was young, growing up, uh, I, I sat in the church in a pew not 
you know, very different from these. And I always thought of um, the Old Testament, and I always thought of uh, the whole sin. We, we sometimes think of the, the gospel as having three movements. We live in sin, which is the fallen nature of this world, which, which basically is our, um, the, the broken state of humanity. And it's not the way that God set things up in the beginning. It's not the good that he called things to be. And we mess things up. We have failed in meeting what God's expectations are because God is perfect and holy and we could never accomplish that, not in this broken world. And so because of that separation, because of that, that difficulty, that separation from us, I had always in my mind gone to Ten Commandments, gone to Old Testament, gone to Leviticus, and always seen God the Father as being the one who contained this information. That God the Father was the one who dealt with law, the law, the sin side of things. And it was Jesus who dealt with more the, the salvation side of things. And then when it came to the service, you know, our expression and the churches going out, that was the Spirit who did this. Now, I'm going to tell you, even at that age, my modalism was very strong. <laughs> You're saying, well, I don't even know what that is. Modalism is one of these fallacies that we easily perform within the church anytime we try to explain to each other what the Trinity is all about. I was basically saying that God has different modes that he goes into. That's not what the Trinity, that's not the doctrine of the Trinity at all. Sometimes we associate God the Father, the Son, or the Spirit with different actions even. Sometimes we look at creation or how a Christian ought to live and we say, well, that has to come after the person of Jesus, doesn't it? That's where that information should be. We need to follow Jesus and the New Testament to get that story right. And it isn't wrong. But it's still just not a clear a picture of the Trinity as we could get. See, the Trinity is not an egg. Have you heard that one? Have you heard that one? The, the shell is like one part of the Trinity and the white is another part of the Trinity and the, the yolk is another part of the Trinity. No, that's, not, uh, that, that's a different fallacy. That's tritheism. That's three gods in one. Uh, in, but, and it's also not a clover. Uh, the three-leaf clover thing, that's, uh, that, that breaks down too. The reason is, and this is as simply as I can state it, God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each person is fully God. And there is one God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. There is a seeming contradiction. This is why, oh, in the history of the church, there has never been a topic so more widely discussed and, and so, uh, so difficultly um, dividing the church. Arian uh, and the, those who believed in uh, and followed his thinking in the third century believed that Jesus was created, and he used this passage to say so. He was, say, he was the firstborn, right? The firstborn. Well, see, again, that's where that Greek gets us, uh, just does us a little bit better. In fact, to be firstborn, in, in, this, uh, in the context, in the Greek language here, is to be in title and in position equal to God. 
It's being reinforced by language we find elsewhere. And if ever you find yourself really struggling to understand what this particular passage might have to be saying about this particular part of theology, allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so we find ourselves going elsewhere to understand a little bit more about this doctrine of the Trinity. I go to John, John chapter 1. If you were here during Advent, we spent a little bit of time on John chapter 1, and so you can go back there and visit that if you'd like. There's, in the beginning uh, was God, uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God. The word with there, actually in Greek, what's beautiful is that they have three different words for the word with. Gotta love prepositions. Um, so the three different words are en, let's say them together, en, and thank you, meta, and soon. Thank you. This, uh, in John chapter 1, John is using explicitly this word soon. It's, it's really where we get the word uh, S-Y-N, sin in our, um, in our English, synthesis, uh, you know, synergy. That means kind of across or with, right? In the Greek, this word soon literally means as two figures, one beside the other. It's very intentional. See, N means more in, or uh, often it's translated in or alongside. Meta, meta is often translated related to, is kind of like uh, metaphor. It's kind of related to something. But sin is very explicit. It is separate but alongside. It is what we envision when we say, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That is the proper proposition. There, your grammar's done for today. If you wanted to see the Trinity at work to allow Scripture to, to continue to educate us, you'd go to Mark, the beginning of Mark where we have the baptism of Jesus, right? The Son, the Spirit, hovering as a dove, the voice, this is my Son, whom I love. Creation as well. The Spirit hovers over the water, and God the Father speaks what? A word. And as we find in John, Jesus is himself the word. They're all helpful analogies. These are helpful uh, language to help us get there. And I was really struggling this week. I wanted to help, uh, help us put this to rest. And I'm not sure that I've discovered uh, anyone who's, uh, who's tried this analogy before. So please help me figure out why it's a fallacy. <laughs> because uh, I don't know how it's broken yet. But I want to help you with the Trinity. So this morning, I, I, many of you know I'm a musical person. And so musically, I was thinking, the Trinity is like harmony. Let me show you. We can have a, a note, any one note, that's a C, that itself is fully contained as a note. Actually, there are even harmonic frequencies that naturally occur with, with notes as well harmonics. But then when you add a couple other notes to this, 
you get what's called a triad. And a triad, measurably, you, you can measure each of these tones to an exact frequency because sound travels in waves. And so because we can match these frequencies, I often think this is the closest we will ever find to the perfection that we know, that harmony that is the Trinity here on earth. And so, yeah, we do have a difficulty in understanding it. And I hope that somehow helps us to see how the Trinity combines or, or, or connects in perfect harmony. The notes are distinct. No note greater than the other. No substance different than the other. See, music is, is important to me. I, I wonder if it's just because it was a song that reached me. I'm not sure about any of you all and where your story starts, but it wasn't very long after I was in that pew as a, as a child listening. And being engaged by the actions of the church, learning the, the fundamentals. We had silent prayer during that time of confession. And it was one of my favorite times. It was just me and God. An opportunity uh, to tell him the things I already knew that he knew. <laughs> All the things that separated me from him. See, that's what sin is. Anything that separates us from God. It made me think that everyone around me was better than I was. They understood deep things. They understood words like trinity, no doubt. I just, I just sat there in the silence and I talked to God. I love to read the Bible and would often do that instead of listening to the preaching. Sorry. But the music always caught my attention. It was a song during the offertory, and I'm not sure if you've ever noticed before, but an, but an offering during the time of collection is a great chance for the church to learn new songs. And so we've done that oftentimes here, but it was an offering you know, many years ago that this special song was being played. I remember where we sat. It was about six or seven rows back on the right. We always sat in the exact same seats at church. Uh, because there was a row of us, seven kids in my family growing up, my mom and my dad. Uh, sometimes we'd have a friend. Um, the only time to hear some of those other songs before, you know, other than we'd find in the, in the hymnal, were on Sunday mornings when, you know, dad would play the record player. Yes, we had a record player. Uh, of the Statler brothers singing the, the hymns or um, was during the offering. That's when we learned new songs. I don't know her name. I couldn't pick her out of a lineup if I had to. And um, I, I can remember she sang the song well. I don't remember what the offering was for. I don't remember uh, too much about it. I remember the, the weight of the wooden plate as it passed me by. My eyes were still just kind of focused on what was going on up front. They had dug up a microphone from somewhere, goodness knows where, and the guy who ran sound a few rows back in the middle of the sanctuary, they, said they did that sometimes, and I, well, kind of like this, but where they had the sound guy and all of his sound stuff was underneath a pew, like in front of him, and he was like, you know, turning things up down here. And I'm telling you, that guy rarely ever moved. 
rarely. Now, all of a sudden, was just a flurry of action as he flipped tape on, pushed play, gave her a confident head nod and a, and a ginormous thumbs up as if like, like the whole world was waiting for this performance to start. It was almost audible as he, as he gave her that thumbs up. The lights dimmed in that place. They didn't actually dim. <laughs> the spotlight pinned in. No, there was no spotlight. It was a big deal. And for me, listening to that song, it was a song by Ray Bolts. Anyone ever heard of Ray Bolts? Can I? I'm just going to play it. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am alive. That was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Does anyone know that song? No? A beautiful ballad. It's about Sunday school teachers being met in heaven by one of the kids in their class. I remembered at that moment a compulsion to pray, a prompt by God. I remembered the stories of the Old Testament and I remembered the stories about love and about justice and about wrath and that Jesus had come to satisfy the wrath of God. I remember the words of Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive me. And I could only think of the baptismal promises that I had heard time and time again as people stood up and said, we do God helping us. And I had witnessed that, and I finally said, I wonder if today is my day. And I don't know if the next week I went to my Sunday school teacher, and I don't know if, if I ever said anything to her as I prayed that week for God to take the lead in my life and to be near me. I wanted to respond to all those people who had helped me to see God as Ray had written in this song that this nameless woman sang. I was a life that was changed. Paul says it this way in our text. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. We were separated. That's what that word holy means. Distinct, set aside. We were separate from God, but through Christ, we are able to be holy in his sight. If you've ever wondered if your gifts to the church, your gifts of time, talents, or your treasures has done anything to grow the church, I just wanted to say. Thank you for giving to the Lord. He's used those gifts to change my life and the life of soundboard operators and special music singers and Christians learning a new song every week that are going to help them grow in the faith and the knowledge that we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may we be able to, to say or sing with Paul. 
This is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Josh, I, Paul, I, fill in the blank, have become a servant. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you. Your presence with us, Lord. We just want to praise you and thank you for the gift, not only of music, as it reminds us, as notes that are just perfectly in tune with each other, remind us of your being in perfect tune, perfect community in this Godhead that we call the Trinity. Allow us to understand you, Lord, not for our benefit or for our ability to gloat, but Lord, that we may help others in this world see you that in this dark, dark place, that light may shine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.